Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. Hey there, everybody. It is that time again. It's Political Breakdown from KQED. I'm Scott Schaefer, politics editor over here. I'm Marisa Lagos, part of this politics posse. Woo-hoo. Today on The Breakdown, we're calling it Reign of Terror or How Dare How You. Dare You. How Dare You, Scott. Who said those things? We I think everyone knows by now. It was none other than our Attorney General, U.S. Attorney General, Jeff Sessions, and Governor Jerry Brown. A little war of words this week in Sacramento and uh, actually nationally, Jerry and Javier Becerra were on the news hour. They really dropped. They really. He was on fire. Jerry Brown was on fire talking about immigration sanctuary. He used Gestapo in there. <laughs> this was after his initial tweet where he basically made fun of Trump and ended a tweet with sad exclamation point, which is not very two Jerry exclamation speak. points. Two exclamation there two. points. There were two. So we're talking sessions, Sacramento, and uh, we have a very special guest here. Uh, it is Devin Kadiyama from. The Bay. He is the host of the Bay. Hey, very special guest. Thanks. Our new podcast. (laughs) He uh, walked all the way over from his guest. From the room right there, yeah. (laughs) And uh, Oaklander as well. That's right. Oakland. Uh, So quite a week for your city, for your mayor. Yeah, it was quite a week. I was watching that press conference with Jeff Sessions, and about 10 minutes into his comments, he just goes after Libby Schaff. Yeah, and then Trump today. Actually, why don't we play a little bit of uh, President Trump? He also went after her today just to kind of jump on the bandwagon. Uh, Here's what he had to say. And they were all set. This was long into planning. And she said, get out of here. And she's telling that to criminals. And it's certainly something that we're looking at with respect to her individually. So just to explain, this was because Libby Schaff uh, two weekends ago essentially put out a public statement saying, warning, there could be immigration and customs enforcement raids. Those raids did happen. Um, but ICE is claiming, Jeff Sessions, the president, that 800 criminals got away because of Schaaf's warning. That's a lot of criminals. That's a lot. Yeah. And I've never actually heard of a raid where they arrested more than a couple hundred people. Right, so right. that there, seems yeah. a little far-fetched. Yeah, but... there are questions about how many people actually would have fallen into that into that realm. And, I, you know, some people say that they're using that as a, a way to show what the influence Mayor Libby Schaaf had on the whole thing. Well, how do you read it? I mean, it seems to me like in some ways this was like her a good moment for her i mean she's lives in the bay area she right, represents this right, liberal right. city yeah i spoke with uh, robert gammon who's the uh, news editor and columnist for the east bay express and he was saying how how 
being mayor of a city like Oakland, when something like that happens and, and ICE comes into your city, it's it doesn't hurt you politically to come out and warn people that uh, ICE raids could be imminent and to take take a stand against President but Trump. But yeah, I don't. Did she, do you think she did it with that kind of calculation, that kind of political calculation? I don't. I don't get that sense. I mean, she is up for reelection. Right. But, uh, right. I don't get that sense either. Um, I, I mean, I think if you're you're mayor of a city like Oakland, you're you're almost forced to take that stance in a way. I mean, that's why people elect you to be this progressive uh, person. She's not as progressive as, as some previous mayors, but but still. Yeah. Well, and it was interesting, the first person to, a lot of politicians this week have been avoiding the question, did Libby Schaaf do the right thing? Right. Uh, the Governor Brown really wouldn't answer that yesterday. Uh, Kevin DeLeon didn't answer it, but the one person <laughs> who, who immediately in an email said, way to go was Lieutenant Governor Gavin Newsom. And give me money. Who had, what's that? And And, give me money. And please, yeah, please, uh, I need more money for my campaign. But, uh, you know, and he had a moment like that a few years ago with gay marriage. Yeah, Bob Gammon brought that up, right? That's right. Yeah, 2004, I think it was. It was this moment when he he kind of took a stand and and, uh, benefited politically from that. And I think uh, Robert Gammon believes that that is the moment for Libby Schaaf right now, this uh, kind of taking a stand and and saying, you know, we're we're not going to back down. And uh, like I said, it can't hurt her politically. Well, interesting. Interestingly, some of the city council members, uh, one of at least one of whom might be running against her, uh, Rebecca Kaplan, kind of critical, said, hey, you just like created a bunch of fear. Right, right. And there was the question when, when she came out with that press release, it was a Saturday, uh, which you don't get press releases on a Saturday, and it said 24 hours this, this raid could happen. And there were a lot of questions from people in the immigrant community that, you know, whether this stir of fear was actually helpful or, or hurtful. I mean, her argument, obviously, is that she felt like it, it would give people a chance to sort of figure out their rights and right. get le- like legal resources. Don't answer the door. For yeah. 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 But, you know, I, I do find it really fascinating as somebody who's been watching all the sanctuary city fights. And that's what, you know, these cities that, that have uh, more rights and protections for undocumented immigrants call themselves is that. San Francisco's really been the one in the crosshairs, right? There was that Kate Steinle case, that yep. young woman who was killed by an undocumented immigrant. Uh, there's the lawsuits. And all of a sudden, as Sessions arrives in California, Oakland eclipsed that. And it just seems to me, um, you know, that, it, that it's a fascinating kind of turn of events because San Francisco's been really quiet on all of this. Right. And what, part of the uh, story that we talk about in this week's episode of The Bay was how Oakland, how Libby Schaff came to this position. And it kind of started in this incident back in August when Oakland police actually helped ICE with what they said at the time was this criminal arrest. It turned out there weren't any criminal arrests, and what who was arrested was an undocumented immigrant. So Oakland dug in and said, you know what, we're doubling down and saying we're not going to be Because they took some flack, the police they chief did, yes. took some flack for Very what happened. So. Was that August of uh, 2017, yeah. I think? Yeah. Yep. Well, and also, I mean, we should say, where was Sessions? He was at this police event, right? This was the Police Officers Association, the statewide organization. I mean, I'm curious, did, have you heard anything like in Oakland from... You know, that that, right. that law enforcement world? That was the question that I talked about with one of our producers, Erica Aguilar, about. We had a lot of questions about that. We don't know. Um, but we're definitely interested in figuring that out. But, yeah, we don't know. You know, it was interesting. In, in the hall yesterday in Sacramento at the California Peace Officers Association, the, 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 you'd think this would be – Jeff Sessions crowd, you know, and it was really very tepid applause, you know, and I'm not sure quite what to make of that. What was interesting is after Jeff Sessions got off stage and whoever was on after him got got up there, it wasn't like a rah-rah, you know, thank you, Jeff. This was a great thing. It was a little bit more timid. Well, I wonder if they don't feel kind of caught in the middle. Well, and I think that 
I think there was an expectation. What they said ahead of this was like, we want Sessions to come and give us some clarity. We understand there are federal laws and there are state laws and we're caught in the middle because there's this new state law that prohibits law enforcement from working with ICE. And that is not what Jeff Sessions gave them. I mean, that was this like clarion call for the right uh, and and this sort of like anti-immigrant crowd. And... You know, I think that might have caught the police officers yeah. by surprise well, a little. And the irony is, you know, both sides are using it. I mean, we talked about it. Gavin Newsom sent out a fundraiser. Dave Jones, the insurance commissioner, was at this <laughs> press conference yesterday with Kevin DeLeon. They're all sending out fundraising pitches. Right, Kevin DeLeon, like, canceled a D.C. trip to do this. And uh, yeah. Trump also was sending out a fundraising pitch. So, you know, politically, for their, you know, for the Republican base and for the Democratic base, it's a win-win, I guess. But, uh, you know, there's a lot of people's lives uh, who get kind of caught up in the whole thing. Well, Scott, you were at the protest outside. Like, what, what was the scene there? Was it pretty big? Was it? You know, it was several hundred people. I mean, Sacramento is not, you don't think of Sacramento as a big protest town. You know, yeah. it's not like here, the Bay Area, or even L.A. So, you know, there were a few hundred people, I'd say two, three hundred. They blocked an intersection at one point. Uh, the police were very low-key. They were mostly on bicycles, just kind of monitoring the whole thing. And that was like after 12 hours? or The, the press release and the news that Sessions was coming to Sacramento didn't happen over a long period of time. It was short, right? The, the day before. before. Yeah, day before. Like, yeah, almost 24 hours, you know, with social media. I mean, yeah. when I talked to some of the organizers uh, the day before on Tuesday, it sounded like they were going to have, like, thousands of people. <laughs> so I don't know. They maybe, you know, overestimated how many people would show up. But, you know, it was what was interesting, too, is that it wasn't just, you know— the Latino community that was there. There were quite a few African-Americans. I talked to a couple of ministers, and, you know, they reminded me, for example, there was an Oakland minister there, Ben McBride, who said, you know, it isn't, you know, what's happening with immigrants is terrible, but we're also worried about criminal justice reform being Mm -hmm. rolled back, and, uh, you know, that affects their community, certainly, as, as well as other communities. So, um, yeah, so it was a it was a big deal for the for that city, uh, and then of course there was the counterbalancing thing with the press conference with Becerra and Brown, uh, Jerry Brown. So and quite a quite a they wild did time. The rounds, yeah. Yeah. So we're going to let you go in a second here, uh, Dev and Katayama, but tell us, uh, what else are uh, you doing? What are you digging into with the Bay? So the Bay had its first week. We're really excited about that. Thank Ooh. you so much. Uh, we are a podcast, so you can subscribe to uh, Apple Podcasts. I love your icon, basically by the wherever. Way. Thank you Very so much. Nice. They did a good job on that. And the music. I'm digging uh, the music. The music's pretty yeah. cool, isn't it? Yeah. Um, but we're looking at issues around the Bay Area, so this is a local news podcast, and we're really taking a look at why we're even talking about the stories that we choose to talk about. So take any particular headline and what does it really mean and how does it connect us as a region? So something that's happening in Concord, what does that mean to somebody in along the peninsula? And how do you really bring out the humanity of that and, and why do we care about this to begin with? So we're taking on all sorts of issues. We're taking on uh, homelessness uh, after the fires up in Santa Rosa. We're talking about ice raids. Uh, we're, we're covering it all. Not that there's anything to talk about. Yeah. Yeah, right. <laughs> Devin well, Katayama. Yes. What I was just going to say, it's really great so far, and you should definitely check it out if you're yep, listening. Absolutely. Thanks. The Bay, Devin Katayama, host, KQED's new podcast. Thanks so much for coming in. We're going to take a short break, and when we come back, Shannon Coulter of Grab Your Wallet will be here to talk about using your buying power to influence political change. She's going after Donald Trump and Ivanka Trump, among others. You're listening to Political Breakdown from KQED Public Radio. Hi, I'm Sasha Coca, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse Golden State. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. 
the land of milk and honey. That's where you go to Sunshine State, but we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks. Welcome back to Political Breakdown. I'm Marisa Lagos here with the one and only Scott Schaefer. And joining There's us another now, one, you know. is there? No. I met him at a party. Does I he swear spell to God. His he name does. the same way? Yes, wow. S-H-A-F-E-R. So. <laughs> joining us now is Shannon Coulter. She started Grab Your Wallet. You might have heard of it. It's a San Francisco organization, new nonprofit, actually. Yes. And it turns outrage into action. Shannon, thank you for coming in. Thank you so much for having me. So what are you outraged about and, and what are you acting on? What aren't I outraged about? <laughs> it's a shorter list these days. Tell us about Grab Your Wallet. Like, what are you guys doing? Grab Your Wallet began in the wake of the release of the Access Hollywood tape. So, um, you know, like a lot of other women in the country, I think I was feeling a lot of rage and and having a lot of insomnia and was bringing up some memories of bad workplace experiences that I had had. And I just needed to do something constructive with all that energy. So I created a short list of retailers that do business with the Trump family and that grew from there. I think the timing was exactly right. And it really exploded on social media. And it's now the hashtags now been seen over a billion times, which a billion. Yeah. Which wow. even as a digital marketer, a career long digital marketer, I have a hard time believing those numbers. Yeah. You know, those are McDonald's numbers, not not little tiny grassroots movement numbers. So it's, it's so been you, amazing. to So watch. you launched it sort of after the campaign or, or the, the election or right to, as it was ending? It was before the election. So it was October 11th, 2016 that it launched. And um, I I found this other woman, this great woman, also a Californian online, who was thinking along the same lines, and she became my co-founder. She's actually an official co-founder of the nonprofit that just formed. And we just were on the same page immediately. I had never met her. I had never even spoken to her. And we just announced that we were doing this boycott, and it just took off. Did you uh, Have you thought of yourself as an activist before? No, no, I'm a career long marketer. I have come from the corporate world, uh, but I don't I will say that I don't think it's an accident that two of the most effective movements in this space of consumer activism are headed up by people who don't come from the traditional nonprofit activist world. The other one being uh, Sleeping Giants which is an organization that it's not really an organization, it's grassroots, but it pressures uh, companies to divest advertising from hate speech sites like Breitbart. So I know you guys have expanded also to to target businesses that are supporting the NRA or working with the NRA. I mean, but talk to me about why, because, you know, I think a lot of what we hear these days is like, get involved, go out, vote, you know, be politically active. Mm -hmm. I think not to put words in your mouth, but it seems like the idea behind this is that you vote every day with your dollar to some extent, exactly. right? Exactly. Yeah. Um, and so what when you envision this, I mean, what were you thinking could really be the impact? 
So there are two things. So it's, yes, it's expanded beyond the scope of a Trump boycott to be a more expansive resource for the flexing of consumer power for a more respectful, inclusive society in general. And now we do include the companies that carry NRA TV, among the few others that are related to guns. I was looking at uh, your website, and I think there's you're up to about 50 or more companies that are on the list. Yes. Yeah. So how- 37 have come off, though, and that's the number I'm more proud of. Because wow. the, the you know boycotts are not effective if they are aren't about movement, if they are like just a name and shame campaign, it doesn't work. We have to be able to pressure companies to evolve and give them the chance to do that. And how do you decide when they've done enough to get off the list? We always include a very specific, concrete, recommended action every time a company is added to the list. So they know exactly what to do. I've talked to a number of the companies that are on the list. One of the companies that's still on the list I had a meeting with them, and they told me that they've heard from over 500,000 people wow. mentioning Grab Your Wallet. So we're working with them to get them off of the list. What are those conversations like? Like, who's calling you from these companies? Well, like I said, I mean, I, you know, I'm a private citizen. I, you don't hear from a large publicly traded company unless they are hearing from their customers at scale. So I think I have leverage in those situations. And the the entire focus of the conversation is how let's talk about how we get you off sometimes i help them craft the statements that lead to them coming off of the of the list it's, are they like tweeting at you like no, how do they find you they they call me they email me i mean i'm not hard to find but um <laughs> and what what are some of the things that they've tried unsuccessfully to sort of convince you of uh that didn't get them off the list uh well i you know the guy <laughs> One of the top executives from Coors called me up, and I really felt like Coors, he, the beer company. Mm-hmm, he's on the list. Coors is on the list because Pete Coors. Again, Pete Coors did some fundraising time. for Donald, and uh, you know, I, when he called me up, I, I kind of had the sense that he just thought that he could sweet tell me you? what. No, not sweet. It was not sweet at all. It was oh, pretty. You know, like aggressive. It was pretty presumptuous, I think, is the general tone. Like, I think he just really thought, like, I will be able to tell this person to do this and they will just do it. And I thought, well, that's that's hilarious. No, that's not going to happen. No calls from Ivanka. (laughs) No calls from Ivanka. Although Tyra Banks did call me up out of the blue ones. So that was interesting. You were boycotting her cosmetics company? Her cosmetics company was on the list because she was an advertiser on New Celebrity Apprentice in the form of being a judge on New Celebrity Apprentice. So So you just picked up the phone and there she was? No, she picked up the phone. And what did she say? She wanted off the list. Was she, was she nice? Because she has a she reputation was, for being a little... She was incredibly nice. Oh, she was very, very nice. She had actually done some campaigning for Hillary Clinton, and she said, I, you know, I think, I think, honestly, I get the sense that NBC wasn't being entirely honest with the people who were sponsors of New Celebrity Apprentice at the time about the level of Donald Trump's continued involvement at the time that they were getting involved with that season. If you're just joining us, we're talking to Shannon Coulter. Uh, She founded Grab Your Wallet, which uh, is a way of pressuring, using consumer power to pressure corporations. Uh, And you're listening to Political Breakdown. I'm Scott Schaefer, along with uh, Marisa Lagos here, my partner in crime. Um, You you grew up, I think, in Indiana. Is that right? No, I was born in Indiana. We moved when I was four. We moved to Pennsylvania when I was 10. My Family is mostly Midwestern, but I consider myself a Northeasterner because I grew up from 10 on in PA. So did you, you, you didn't grow up with like in a politically active family? Not politically active, but politically vocal. I mean, we, you know, our, I, our idea at the time is arguing politics over the dinner table. Yeah. Uh-huh. And uh, yeah, go ahead. Oh, well, I was just wondering, I mean, like you, so, you know, you kind of have this moment during the campaign that I think you're right. A lot of women were outraged at the Access Hollywood t- tape. But I mean, at that point, 
were you thinking this might be a few months thing? I mean, did you ever envision that this would turn into, it sounds like it's basically your whole life, right? You've taken a step back from your company. Yeah. I, I'm transitioning out of doing that work. And um, yeah, no, I had no idea. And I think at a certain point, its profile kept growing and growing. So at a certain point, I did have to make a conscious decision about how much I was going to stay involved. And what, it felt like the right thing to do. What is your operation like? What's the international headquarters of Grab Your Wallet <laughs> My kitchen like? table. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we are going to need an actual location at some point uh, very soon, but uh, right now so it's... So it's literally just you? Yeah, the, the nonprofit just formed. I do have a, a small group of people who help out on various aspects of things, but... And do you envision this growing into something bigger than the NRA and Trump? Is this something you yeah, kind of want to take? I do. I, I want it, It's a 501c4 now, and I want it to also be a 501c3, and I'm having conversations with potential funders in that vein. Um, I think what I dream about is connecting all the dots. Um, right now, there's no centralized resource for people to understand the ethical profile of a company or a brand. Um, there's a lot of like siloed bits of information, like supply chain uh, environmental rights or environmental track record, labor rights, representation at the board and the senior executive team level. But there's no one resource that lets a consumer look at that company across all those dimensions and make a quick decision about what to do. So you've gotten some flack, especially at the beginning, I think, for targeting Ivanka Trump and this idea that, you know, why are you targeting a woman's business? Um, I'm just curious, like, what your response to that is I mean, she's in the White House now. Yeah, I'm not exaggerating when I say that I include Ivanka Trump in the boycott out of respect. I mean, I think not to include her would be to overlook the significance that she has mm -hmm. and the amount of power that she has access to. Um, it, she, you know, passionately campaigned for Donald after the Access Hollywood tape was released. I think if she hadn't done that, women would cut her a lot more slack than they do. What about uh, I'm thinking of a company like Macy's, you know, Macy's tossed Donald Trump's clothing line out mm -hmm. of the store and uh, they're still getting cut up credit cards, you know, Macy's credit cards from people who are Trump supporters. It's probably died down now, but a lot of people did. They hate politics, these big companies. They right? claim to. I mean, Macy's CEO has said that he wouldn't carry. He said, he, you know, we just don't want to be a political company. This was his uh, rationalization for not dropping Ivanka. And he said that we wouldn't carry a Hillary Clinton line of clothes if she had one either. But that was before Ivanka took the role in the White House. And she's there now and they haven't dropped her. So I think that that's hypocritical. But in general, I mean, do you think these companies, I mean, you're seeing now, it's interesting with the gun stuff in Parkland, Florida, some of these companies, Walmart and others stepping up and uh, beginning to kind of put their toe more into, yeah. into politics. Politics, Uber, same yeah, and thing. it puts pressure on companies like Apple. I think Apple, as a company right now, has to ask itself: Does it want its brand associated with seventeen dead kids? And you know, I would hope that the answer to that is no. What's the connection? Well, they carry NRA TV, and NRA TV is essentially gun industry advertising. And the reason you don't see a tobacco TV uh, carried on these, you know, companies' platforms is because they're not legally allowed to do that. But I think that even if they were, they wouldn't at this point because the negative PR ramifications would be too great for their company. But so why do they carry gun industry advertising? That's what NRA TV is. Have they, have they answered that question? No, they've been utterly silent. What so, about Silicon Valley generally? I mean, do you, a lot of those companies sort of have tried until recently with the election. You know, Facebook and Twitter got dragged in, sort of, uh, very involved. But 
What, you know, what's your take on Silicon Valley? We though? have a long way to go. I think especially with Amazon, which isn't technically a Silicon Valley, but it's a tech company, it's a you know, large tech company. And the, um, the lack of accountability to the public is really disappointing. You know, I realized last night that they, they respond to reporters' inquiries about Alexa randomly and creepily laughing every now and then these days, but they haven't answered any reporters' inquiries about NRA TV, and they haven't answered any inquiries about advertising on Breitbart or doing business with the Trump family. So it's, it's worrisome. It's when a company selective. is this big and powerful, they have to be accountable. Yeah, no, it's very selective. I actually got a pitch from Facebook this week on something, and I was like, oh my gosh, they, they don't call back, but they have a comms department. Who knew? <laughs> I mean, yeah. of course you yeah. know that, but, you know. Well, I've heard from a number of senior business reporters along the way, like, it's a black hole. They don't answer mm-hmm. calls. Yeah. And I think it's really getting scary. They're so big. So, okay, so you talk about, you know, NRA and Trump, and I think in some ways, if you're, you know, on the left side of the political spectrum, those are kind of easy targets. But how do you plan on sort of deciding what is, you know, you're making kind of an ethical choice in terms Mm -hmm. of what you want to target and what you think people will respond to. Mm -hmm. So if you guys are going to grow, how do you sort of, where do you set those lines and who's making those decisions? Is it going to just be you for a long time or do you think that you'll need more of a kind of kitchen cabinet? No, I absolutely will need a group of people aboard helping me make those decisions. I think also on the 501c3 side, it's going to be much more about presenting a landscape of information and giving people ways to make easy decisions for themselves. Everybody has a different line. And so I just want to give them the information they need to make their own decisions. Do you worry like about boycott fatigue? You know, people just nope. you don't worry about that. No, <laughs> nope. people are just really motivated. Just getting started. Yeah, no, I, I don't see any dissipation of energy. I see only increased appetite for flexing consumer power in ways that that move things along. What about? The counter boycott. Like, what about supporting companies that are doing the right thing? Or is that something you? Yeah, I mean, talk I've, about? I've seen a couple of articles recently saying, "Oh, boycotts are so five minutes ago." You know, it's all about boycotts now, and I think that's a little Pollyannish, to be honest with you. I mean, I think that boycotts are a Supreme Court protected right. They are a very important form of peaceful protest in a democracy. I enthusiastically support people on the right's right to boycott, like the Christians who boycotted Target over their inclusive bathroom policies. I don't agree with that, but I I ardently support their right to do that. You uh, you were a digital marketing specialist. I think that's what I saw you as described as. And what, what did you learn from being a marketer? You know that you've put to work in in this world. It, it would be I could talk about that for hours, but <laughs> I mean I feel like I'm I'm using everything I've learned over the course of my whole career to do what I'm doing now. Like what? Um, well, for instance, we so we know that social proof is a really powerful form of marketing. So if you see somebody doing something or buying something and you know that person or you just see someone, you know, you know, doing an action, you're more likely to do it yourself. Instead of hearing the message from the brand or the company, if you see a person doing it, you're more likely to do that. So there's a lot of that. There's a lot of surfacing of people just taking action and Companies don't necessarily always know how to do that, and nonprofits don't necessarily always know how to do that. But so every chance I get, I feel like I'm I'm raising up people who are saying I'm doing this today, I'm making this call, or I'm sending this email, and so that social proof inspires tends to inspire people more than I ever personally could. Do you um, have you gotten more or less backlash? I know I kind of referred to the Ivanka Trump stuff, but the NRA supporters are known for being quite vociferous in their uh, opinions. I mean, have you have 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 you gotten more pushback because of this than the Trump stuff or same or honestly, the one of the first things I ever did online that went viral was a list of the 46 senators, I think it was, who voted against universal background checks after Sandy Hook. And it was just a medium post that went absolutely 
crazy. And I, so I, I got into a lot of arguments with, um, you know, Second Amendment enthusiasts at that time. And I feel like it made me stronger. It was, you know, scary. Sometimes there were threats, there were death threats sometimes, but I feel like it, it sharpened my blade and I feel grateful to them, weirdly. How does, like... How's your family feel about all of this? Are they supportive? Are they extremely, surprised? Extremely supportive. I'm incredibly lucky. You uh, imagine I'm, that you're, what you're doing gets covered by Breitbart or Drudge or some of the more conservative uh, media outlets, Fox News. Uh, like, do you, do you pay attention to what they're saying? I know whenever I've hit one of those publications because I get threats. And I think that that's something that people in the limelight experience quite a bit. So when Shannon Watts is written about by any of those publications, too, you know, she, I'm sure, sees a wave of threats as well. And in what form do they take? Um, email, usually. Phone calls, sometimes weird mail. Yeah. Does it worry you? Of course. Yeah. And I've had conversations with everyone close to me to say, hey, if this ever feels like too much, you need to let me know. Um, again, they've been very supportive. Are there, there are people, sorry, that you like law enforcement type folks you've talked to about this? I mean, what level has it, have you taken it to? No, I haven't done that yet. Thankfully, I haven't felt the need to do that yet. Yeah. When you look out on the horizon of, you know, like issues, uh, I mean, do you see yourself remaining focused where you are now or like what's the next frontier i'm really excited to form the nonprofits, and i i literally dream about what i'm going to do with them and all the people that are getting involved and we have some great people joining the board right now i'm very can't say who they are yet but i'm so excited about it and i just feel like um it feels like we've you know we know that between 70 to 85% of all consumer purchases are controlled by women, depending on whose figures you believe. It feels like there's this one area where we do dominate and have the power and that we're understanding how to use that power to get power in areas where we don't have it yet, like government, like the C-suite. So I feel like it's it's exciting. And labor rights, too. I think the, the Fight for 15 movement is incredibly important in all of this. So. You mentioned the 46 senators who voted against. Was it background checks? Is that what you said? Universal background Universal, checks, yeah. yeah. What, what did you hear from any of those offices? I didn't at the time. I was just, I was, I hadn't started. You were just a medium blogger. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's great. No, I think it's interesting. I mean, I feel like wherever you are on the political spectrum, there's so, like you said, there's such a dearth of information about how these big companies operate that I think people want to know. They yeah. want to know. Are you a big shopper yourself? I, I mean, I think the answer to that would be yes. I, <laughs> I, throughout this whole thing, it's been really interesting. I've met a, a number of people, including Annie Leonard, who have said, you know, we shouldn't even talk about ourselves as consumers. That's just retrograde, and we need to all be minimalists and never buy anything. And I, I know where she's coming from with that, but I also feel like when we have this much power, we have to use it. All right. And we Shannon have to Coulter, buy stuff. you got to buy stuff. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Shannon Coulter, uh, Grab Your Wallet is the name of her outfit, so to speak. Thanks so much for coming in and talking to us. Thank you again for having me. That does it for this edition of Political Breakdown. If you like what you heard, you can subscribe, rate, and review us on Apple Podcasts. Katie Orr is our Sacramento reporter. Our producer. Our producer is Guy Marzarati. <laughs> did you find your script? I did. Our I heard that paper shuffling. Seal Muller. Ethan Lindsay is our managing editor. And Holly Kernan is our vice president of news. I'm Marisa Lagos. You can follow me on Twitter at mlagos. I'm Scott Schaefer. Follow me on Twitter at, at Scott Schaefer. That is a wrap for this week's political breakdown from KQED. We'll see you next time. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid, and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just 
what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio. It was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support.